Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to artists from all walks of life to discuss their personal and professional journeys that led them to where they are today. I'm one of your hosts, Graham Waldrop, and riding shotgun this week is Lila Feria. Lila, welcome. Hey there. Hey. So what are we doing here? What is this show? Why, why are we doing this? Who is Mudstack? Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of questions in this inaugural episode to kind of cover before we get into our, our interview with our very talented developers. So I'm going to let you, uh, let you explain that a little bit to our, to our audience. Graham and I work at Mudstack, which is an asset management collaboration and review platform built by game designers for game designers. Here at Mudstack, we work with a ton of different digital artists who use our platform. This show explores their stories, how they started making games, what they struggled with, and more. Through this podcast, we hope to shine a spotlight on game developers and their passion for their work. Yeah, so if that sounds like a fun listening experience for you, we hope you stick around and listen to the rest of the episode. We're going to give you a little bio on our guests uh, they are Tomas Jek and Clarissa Bernardo. Uh, they are a powerhouse husband and wife team who formed the independent uh, company Tandemi. They are developing the upcoming title, Beyond Beast. Clarissa is the game's engineer, while Tomas is the art and project lead. Beyond Beast is a cooperative top-down 3D action game that can be enjoyed by up to four players. The game requires players to work together to hack, slash, and scream through hordes of demons and ancient beasts through a spooky and fully procedurally generated world. We had the pleasure of meeting Tomas and Clarissa at GDC in San Francisco in March. And when we were thinking of making the show, uh, we knew we had to have, the, have them on because um, the game was fun and they're, they're awesome people. So uh, Clarissa and Tomas, their stories are interesting because they come from exceedingly different backgrounds. Tomas has been in the industry since 2008 while Clarissa recently became a programmer and is now pursuing a master's degree in the field. In this episode of Clear as Mud, we follow Clarissa and Tomasha's respective journeys, their relationship, and the creation of Begone Beast. This is a big one, folks, so we're going to jump right in. We hope you enjoy our discussion with Tomash and Clarissa. Okay, so I, I really love how we met. Um, you guys were on the show for... Uh, Tomas and Clarissa uh, with your game and I was immediately drawn to the logo of your game I, I mean I saw the the booth and I didn't even see the game yet on the screen but I saw the logo and I was like that looks badass had a kind of a Stranger Things vibe to it um, so I, I knew like I was walking around trying to figure out what game should I play test first who, who which developers should I talk to and I was like I'm definitely talking to those guys and uh I just remember playing the game and really, really enjoying it. And just, uh, I remember Tomas, you had this look in your eye when, we were, when everybody was play testing, just incredibly focused, analyzing everything the players were doing. You're able to answer the questions we had, just in total control. And I was just blown away when we talked afterwards. And you're like, "Oh yeah, me and my wife made this. <laughs> we just made this, and it's uh, it's really early." And I was like, "How is this early? Like, it looks good. The animations are good. It's very responsive controls." And uh, I just knew we had to have you guys uh, on the show. So um, it was great playing your game. I'm glad you guys are here. Well, thank you. First of all, that's very nice of you to say. Uh, I think the expression I had was probably fear <laughs> more than focus, but I was definitely all consumed <laughs> with uh, with people playing. I mean, this is the first. That was the first time Clarissa and I really got to watch people play that wasn't like Clarissa's brother. Right. And, Just and my immediate family. Things. So 
it was daunting. It was a very daunting experience watching strangers play our game. <laughs> I bet, especially when it's like on, you know, it's, it's GDC and you're probably getting a lot of, you know, developers playing your games too, not just, um, you know, obviously developers are people who play games as well, but people actually make them. I know it's got to be a little intimidating, but you did a good job hiding your, your fear. It was, uh, <laughs> it was not, it was not palpable fear at all. Well, good. Uh, I, uh, I think, yeah, with, with developers playing, it's like, uh, it's like both a relief because you can at least think like, oh, the, the developers will know that they'll be more forgiving of things because they've experienced what it's like to try and make a game. But also you value their opinion so much. So it's, it's like more intimidating and scary in that sense because it's like, oh, these are our peers and some of these folks have made really great games. Um, and, you know, you really want to impress them or want them to like the game you know you say you want to get good feedback but you also just want them to like it (laughs) yeah of course yeah so let's let's sort of get in the 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 delorean the time machine here and 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 sort of go back before uh beast and let's uh let's let's delve into y'all's past a little bit so tomas you uh tell us a little bit about about your background tell me about growing up well, okay. Well, so growing up, where should I start? Uh, so I, I come from a, um, I come from the Czech Republic. I was like five or so when um, my parents immigrated with me. This would have been like in '89 or something like that. '90. Uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, and yeah, I was I was interested. I actually thought I invented animation when I was a kid. <laughs> like, I I really have this palpable memory. So my background's in animation, which is like, you know, which I, I took a while to to find, but was always interested in really early on. And I had drawn this, like, accidental animation in a notebook where it was actually an envelope where I drew this picture on the envelope and then drew it again on the folding top of the envelope. And then when they you know, there was a slight change in them. So when I flipped the envelope closed, it like looked like it moved. And uh, I was like, wow, you can make images move by flipping between two images. I've invented this thing. <laughs> and I, no one's ever thought of this yeah, before. Yeah, I know. I had, even, I had even seen like, you know, Disney movies. So it just didn't occur to me that that was that, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I, I was really into art and animation as a kid um, growing up and just kind of, you know, started getting a lot into games when I got my first computer, and and yeah, like, is there is there something you'd like to delve in on? I can just dive into random parts. Of- <laughs> oh no, I was I was just interested about like the transition, right? So when you uh, immigrated from Czechoslovakia, um, what was that like? Did you have to learn English, or was it, or did you were you already speaking English at that point? I did have to learn English. It, it was uh, so apparently I learned Italian first. So my parents went to Italy first for a year. Uh, before it, being able to go to the U.S. via various bureaucratic reasons. Um, and uh, I apparently learned to speak Italian okay. I don't remember any of that now. Um, and then when I came to the U.S., I would I learned to speak English by talking at the TV and then repeating stuff I had saw on the TV in the mirror. I think a lot of uh, uh, immigrant kids probably learned that way. Um, yeah, my, uh, my, well, it was a teacher of mine who immigrated from Russia. She learned everything from Disney movies. She learned, yeah. um, George of the Jungle was like her, basically her first, uh, 
I don't know, intro- introductory to, to the English language. She was like, I learned everything from that. And she always <laughs> sings Bare Necessities uh, when I was in high school. So, <laughs> Yeah, my only like, uh, I, I, and I was learning English faster than my parents at that point. So we would have these like little get togethers and I would tell them stuff my teacher had said that day or I'd seen in the TV and I would be like, do you know what? warning means my teacher said i had a warning (laughs) (laughs) and they're like i don't know (laughs) yeah i just i i was very like you know i was was a people pleaser uh and and still am and so i sometimes would get into trouble because i just agreed with everything i didn't understand and so Mm. often Mm. like someone would be like oh this is a cool toy can i keep it and i'd be like yes you know, and they're like, no, wait, no, wait. Oh, no. <laughs> that's how I learned what keep means. <laughs> Learn through experience. Actually, oh, now no. that I'm saying all this, it sounds a lot like how I learned to make games. <laughs> I want to hear more about that. But uh, first, Clarissa, I'm really curious about how this is different from like where you grew up and what your experience growing up was like. Oh, yeah, I uh, we had polar opposite upbringing. Well, first of all, I grew up in the West Coast, um, was born in Northridge. I grew up in Westlake Village, which is um, a small city in Ventura County. I'm I'm first generation Filipino, and uh, my parents immigrated here uh, back in 1982, I believe. And um, I, you know, it seems like with Tomas, he had, you know, he knew exactly what he wanted to do when he like found his like passion so early. I'm the complete opposite. I had a long path of trying to find like what I, you know, what I wanted to do, what I uh, enjoy doing. Um, I played sports like ever since I was seven. Um, I played softball uh, and uh, that was the only way I... (laughs) like graduated high school <laughs> um it was through playing sports uh i wasn't really a school person do you ever want to take softball to the the next level i did uh, i mean i played uh you know i have actually you know hung my glove up like three years ago um and uh i i took it to a pretty high level um, I, I traveled uh, and and played in like a, a world's tournament in Florida. Um, over the years, I'm getting injured and, you know, I'm not really under my parents' insurance anymore. And so, like, you know, my injuries aren't, I'm not recovering from them as fast as I'd like to. Right. And so I decided to, uh, you know, I was like, maybe I should just like retire and, um, you know, close the book on that. And, you know, and I was, and I was ready to. And I, yeah, I played baseball too for, for a while, um, probably 15, 16 years. So when I, when I felt like the game passed me by, I was sad, but I was also like, yeah, I'm, I kind of want to do other <laughs> things, but I, I yeah, totally relate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I totally, I love it. I still love watching it. Uh, I still get angry at the TV of and, course. um, you know, like I'll always be like a sports fan for sure. Uh, baseball fan. Um, but like, as far as me, like performing, um, any athletic stunts, uh, I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> so, uh, Tomash, tell me, tell me more about catching the animation bug. Um, when, when was that? Like you knew you were going to pursue that as a profession. Um, it's weird. I like, I kept pursuing it as a hobby very aggressively long before I even considered that it was a job. Uh, so 
Actually, I, I was making... The first time my parents noticed I was obsessed with animation was... I can't. I don't know how old I was, but it was something like early grade school, like elementary mm-hmm. school age. They took me to the, uh, I think, either to Cleveland or Columbus. There was like a science center where they had a stop motion animation station for kids. Oh, cool. And I didn't let anybody use it the entire time I was there. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember what it was? Yeah, I remember extremely vividly the films I made. And I couldn't like export them or anything. You just played it. And then it lived on this like one little machine, but basically they had a bunch of little, it was like a top down camera on this like mat. And then you just hit this big oh, button. And you could make your own. Yeah. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So it was like four, four kids to make their own stop motion movies. And, um, so like stop motion animation is just, a, you take a picture, you move the character a little bit, you take a picture, you move the character and then you play back those pictures, you know, like Wallace and Gromit or, or something like that. Right. And so they had all these just toys there and you could just like, and the camera was just looking straight down, and there's a big button to just take a frame. And I remember already, like, the, 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 one, the movie I was proudest of was there was this little, like, donkey, I think Eeyore or something like that, like, uh, uh, statue. And, and there was, like, a gray disc. There was just different discs. I don't know. Um, but I just remembered I, I, as, as a child thinking, oh, like, I was going to have my fist come down on this, on this donkey who's gray. And then swap him out with the gray disc, and it'll look like I flattened him into a pancake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it, uh, I still can really vividly remember. I mean, the timing was terrible and, and all that stuff. But I remember, like, there's this line of kids waiting to use it behind me. And I, like, I had to, like, scream to get my parents to come over and see my movie. Because if I left, then somebody would wipe it out, you know? <laughs> um, and then I, I started making stop-motion films, basically. In high school, I made, like, a 45-minute one. Uh, which was, in, it took me like two years and I skipped a lot of classes doing that. Uh, was it the claymation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, just the, the, I did like a clay, it was like a character that, um, uh, well, it was basically like, it was insane. I had like 15 characters, it, like the plot was really complicated, you know, the, the kind of thing you do at that age where you, the ambition outscopes your abilities. But I did finish it. I it was like, I think it ran, the runtime was like 42 minutes, which is like insane. Man, I can't um, imagine making <laughs> stop motion that long. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of, a lot of dialogue. And so I was just like swapping mouth shapes constantly, you know. Um, but I did have like these, you know, characters and set pieces. I, I like the, I, I built it all on top of the ping pong table in my parents' basement. So like nobody played ping pong for two years. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, when did the transition from stop motion to sort of uh, 3d start happening? Um, I first used Maya, uh, the, the, you know, software for, for making like 3d assets and stuff uh, in like 2006 or something like, no, it would have had to have been earlier, like maybe 2000. Three. Like basically in high school, uh, and I made like a dragon flap its wings or something. And, and I really struggled with, I wasn't like super computer savvy, like um, compared to my peers and stuff. But yeah, because really. I played games, uh, um, you know, you had to like reach a certain level of understanding a computer to get games to work on your PC back then. Like even now too, but back then even more so of just like, troubleshooting all this different stuff uh, because you you didn't necessarily have access to all these forums that would tell you, oh, get this patch or do this thing, right? So um, uh, I 
but even then I didn't really understand that, oh, I could do this as a job until I started looking for colleges um, and like, oh, the, like, oh, they have animation programs in them. And then my parents were always like tentatively supportive. Like they're, they're really great. Um, they wanted me to pursue math and engineering. Um, so this wasn't like a humongous departure from that. But my dad's point of view was just kind of like that I, that go for it. But you could always go back to math and engineering if it doesn't work out, you know, like, and he, he was really helpful. Like he helped me find schools that had animation programs and all that. So he does, he does like a lot. He's kind of like a, uh, doesn't say much, but does a lot of work behind the scenes kind of father. And so right. he's not super. So I, oh, good. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was saying, you know, the actions speak louder than words. Yeah. There. Yeah, yeah for sure. Recognize your passion and helped you on your way. Yeah. I like. don't think I appreciate it as a youth. Um, but right. definitely well, we now. Never do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, uh, so what, what influenced you? You went to Bowling Green state, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, why there over any other program? Um, part of it was, uh, the tuition. I mean, we, we just couldn't afford like huge tuitions and, and my dad, I think probably smartly so was really, really against me going into debt as the first thing I do as an adult. Um, you know, who knows? I, I, obviously I was like mad at the time, like I want to go to some big school or something, you know? Um, but also Bowling Green had, uh, I mean, I, I, this is all my dad, like he just researched it and he found that there were a lot of students actually coming out of there and getting jobs. And so it, it was like surprising that that school that, you know, it's not, I, I don't know that it was like super known for that at the time or, or now, or I don't know, but it does have a surprisingly like active and vibrant computer art club. And now when I, whenever people ask me advice about choosing schools, I'm like, look for like active student uh, groups because like, I feel like that's a pretty good indicator that something good is happening there. Uh, Because if like the student groups are kind of dead or they're not like doing a lot of stuff together, not very active on, on like bringing guests and going to events and things like that, then, then, that's really like what gets you motivated and gets you working. Cause any craft based like uh, expertise that you want to develop, it's like so much easier with a group of people around you trying to also learn it. And, mm-hmm. and teachers like, again, teachers are fantastic, but they can't like do the work for you. And so they're not going to sit with you for six hours in the lab, like your peers will, and just like go through every minuscule problem you have also, you know? Um, right. So it sounds like that, that uh, university was more was it, was that much more of an academic university than a social university? It sounds like I don't know about that. I think it had a really good because <laughs> I, I so I was super like I you know I'm just a very homebody introvert kid. I definitely think that there's a version of Bowling Green State University that is like all parties all the time. Um, I would always hear about it from other people, but I like. I, I swear to God, I didn't go to a single party or a bar <laughs> ever. Like I was just in the computer lab. I would sleep on the chairs there. I would hang out with all my nerd friends and it was just, um, but truly a lot of great artists and game developers and animators have come from there. Like I, I, I still run into and work with many people from Bowling Green State University. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. That's really cool. I mean, I think that was, you know, really important for me because I went to SCAD for game design and it was always great having, 
your, your network expanded by who you met in the computer labs. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that was a very similar environment. I do remember when I was going there, I was very envious of SCAD and places like <laughs> Ringling. And, you know, I was just like, our school sucks. <laughs> I wish I was at SCAD. I wish I was at, you know, uh, arts, art center, you know, whatever those other ones were. And yeah. like, what's funny is like when I started touring schools later in my career and doing talks, it's like literally every school I went to, the students were like, our school sucks. Um, oh, no. <laughs> like everybody thinks. Well, you want to talk about going into, uh, going into debt. It, SCAD, that's like, uh, it's like your middle name when you're at SCAD. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, definitely like, I don't know, it's it, w when you're at school, that's your whole world, like that, that campus. And I think you can, it's easy to criticize it there and you don't have a lot of perspective about other places and it seems like it's potentially better at all these other places. But it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of just like, I think you get what you put in in a lot of cases and, and I'm sure there's better and worse schools, but, but they all kind of require you to do most of the heavy lifting, I think. Yeah, especially if they give you the tools and then you take advantage of it. Yep. You go as far as you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Clarissa, was uh was your experience similar? Were you like, I hate school? Like what what did that look like for you? So I went to Moorpark College, um, you know, not really knowing what I wanted to do yet. Um that was more of a commuter school. And then um but I eventually uh ended up being getting my bachelor's at Cal State Northridge in Mark and I got my bachelor's in marketing and finance. Um, and yeah, I just like at that time, I knew I liked working with people and I liked the marketing side of things. And so um, at the time, I thought I was making the best decision. How do you feel about it now? I'm glad I had the experience. Like after my marketing degree, I was in advertising for like 10 years. And so, you know, like the experience was amazing. Um, but, you know, I just kind of, um, you know, came to a point where I was like, I don't think this is like my thing. <laughs> I don't think this is my purpose. Um, and so I was kind of at a crossroads uh, about five years ago. What did that overlap with career wise when you were at that crossroads? Yeah, I just like I felt insignificant um, and I knew I just wanted to do something just different, but I just didn't know what like at a young age, like I was never exposed to like computers or programming or engineering of any type. Like at that time, I like only knew how to open applications and turn on and off a computer. Like I literally didn't know anything. Was your first exposure to programming when you were working with the engineers at Yahoo? Yes. So I uh, remember like I was troubleshooting something like some kind of floodlight tag for a client. Um, and I remember like wanting to speak with an engineer about it, but they were kind of spread too thin and they like didn't have time to deal with my issue. So I remember like opening up the page, which I didn't know what like language that was, but now I know it's Java and HTML. And, um, and so when I looked at it, I just remember being like so intimidated, so lost, so like helpless, like I, I can't help this person. Um, I can't help troubleshoot this problem. And, um, and I actually ended up losing that client uh, because the issue was so pressing. Um, and so I remember being very frustrated that day. Um, 
Like that, that was like my first introduction to, to code was being like very intimidated by it and, and wanted to run away from it. I like, I remember you talking to me about like that, the frustration of just like, if you just understand, because I still feel this way. So <laughs> it's fresh in my mind because <laughs> I, I have not become a programmer. But like, you're like telling me like, oh, if I understood what all these symbols and things meant, like I could just. The hieroglyphics. Yeah, I could just like <laughs> make sense of it and make, do something, you know. And I remember, I feel like that was like that spark where you f- first thought about like, Oh, maybe I can take like a three-week class and just be able to do this, or you know, like before you knew this. Or at least like learn how to read it, you know, like at least you know that, and you know, so I could try to help. Uh, So yeah, that was my first experience. Yeah, that sounded like that stuck in your head though, right? That was like the prominent moment. Yeah, it was. It was because I had such a strong, you know, frustration um, associated with it. (laughs) So, Tomas. you uh, interned with Pixar, right? I did. Man, so what, what year was that when, uh, when, when you went there? That was the summer of 2008. Okay, so you must have seen um, what was happening there. Seen Up, or not seen Up, but did you see people working on Up and what projects were being worked on there? Yes, yes, good. Wow, you, you, that's spot on. So uh, Wally came out while I was there and up was being worked on i believe if i'm remembering everything correctly um we actually went to uh dailies for up as the animation interns we we sat at in the front row at dailies and dailies is uh for anybody that doesn't know it's like every day the animation team on a film will like uh review the shots they're working on with the director and so they'll like you know at 7 a.m they get like notes and then they go work for the day and then they bring back and anybody that has progress to show the next day will show it and that way everybody's always hearing the feedback from from the director they're hearing what everybody's saying about all the other shots and how all the shots are going on the film and and you know and you can apply that to your work even if it isn't your shot being shown and so as interns we weren't showing anything because we weren't working directly on a film but we were listening to uh uh the feedback that was being given to the full-time animators there um Although uh, I I have to admit, it was very early in the morning, which I was not used to. And uh, and, uh, Pete Docter, who was directing up, had an extremely soothing voice. Did he like lull you to sleep a little bit? Yeah, (laughs) I was just like, because, you know, I'd always be doing something stupid, like working until like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you know, going to bed for like two hours and then coming back, um, which, you know, that, that obviously was not mandated at all by pixar this was just me like freaking out all the time (laughs) right um but the experience was amazing i think like it uh it was it was interesting because it set this tone for for just the entertainment industry that you know has been hard to meet again because in the sense of like the just the amount of investment uh pixar put into teaching was uh, it just seemed like oh wow the you know companies really care about education and, and teaching and 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 growing their employees and that obviously is like not the case across the industry at all and and like and I don't even mean that necessarily as a knock it's just like it's it takes an incredible amount of time and money and, and effort to be able to spend time on on uh, learning when you're trying to ship a product right 
Um, it sounded pretty personal then. Like, did you have like a, were you like assigned like a mentor to sort of shadow or, or how'd that work? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was assigned in fact, three mentors, um, two were dedicated to just the interns in general. And, uh, and I had one that was sort of just on a production that, that, uh, he would be just available to me to go down to and ask questions anytime I wanted to. Um, so it was like, yeah, and, and we weren't even doing production work. We were just doing assignments just for us. Um, and the reason for that, like, you know, the downside is that I don't have any work in a Pixar film, but the upside was that if, if I had done production work during that internship, I would not have been able to show it to anybody for years. Mm. Um, and so after the internship, I would not have a reel. And so they, they really wanted everybody to kind of leave the internship with a strong reel that would help, you know, in case you wanted to get a job elsewhere or or just, um, and it just made it easier too. Cause if you like were messing up or that the stakes were a lot lower. So it was just purely for educational. It sounds like they were really watching out for you. They really were. And like, you know, and, and I think the, the only like downside of that experience was just, I went straight from Bowling Green to Pixar and I I w- it was just like super duper culture shock on so many levels professionally like I'm living on my own for the first time like I really had this like whiplash of like I don't even think I've worked an 8-hour day before. Oh, I can't wait to be an animator all the time, but I it turns out when I was at school I would do a lot of watching YouTube and kind of like my day would be this like Swiss cheese of like doing some work and then sleeping and then doing some work and then watching a movie. And, you know, and it's like a structured day isn't quite like that, um, you know, in production. And so that was really hard for me to stay focused. Um, and, and yeah, and I think like, you know, the big, the big lesson uh, that, that the the way this story ends is like, it it doesn't sound great, obviously, but it, it was really important for me was, uh, you know, there was a, a certain amount of animation interns and one by one, they were all selected to stay on at Pixar and I was not. And so like, definitely like a very palpable moment of like, uh, of just like, ah oh, man, you know, I think it's funny, like a lot of people talk about uh, imposter syndrome. And I think like what has been hard for me is like, the way conversations about imposter syndrome typically go is it's just this assumption that those self-criticisms are wrong. Uh, and so you're kind of like, oh, yeah, if you feel like you don't belong, no, you're wrong. You do, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, but when I was at Pixar, I really did not get picked. <laughs> like All the voices screaming in my head that you're not ready for this was like then validated by this selection was that like a crushing rejection and you sort of just stopped in your tracks or was that like, okay, fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I still want to animate or, or were there any doubts or tell, take me through that. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was extremely crushing. I, I think what I'm proud of in those moments where you are like facing like a very sort of kind of public embarrassment or failure, like in front of your peers, I think there's, inadvertently a spotlight put on your reaction, you know, like, and so like you kind of define yourself a little bit in that moment. And luckily, luckily I had the wherewithal to be extremely gracious. Like when they, when they, you know, told me like, Hey, we don't think you're ready for production. Like they were extremely kind. And my reaction was like to hug them and thank them and be very like, you know, it's just amazing that I even got to be here and thank you so much. And and so like, I'm so happy 
because that's not how I felt, you know, like I felt like extremely crushed and I had the wherewithal to realize like um, I shouldn't direct that at the people that have just been helping me succeed for, um, you know, the last three months. So I'm proud of that. It definitely was hard. Like I came back and, and just was went into like the job search grind, which I thought to myself was like, well, I've got Pixar on my resume. Like it's just going to, I'm just going to land jobs. Boom, bam. You know, uh, but it wasn't that easy. Like, it's still hard. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of landing a job is timing and, and luck. And, um, and certainly the Pixar resume thing probably helped a lot. And, and it got me to have conversations with folks. But I think it took me like, you know, I was living back home uh, with my parents for like six months or something of just sending out applications day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Um, before I, I got my first actual like job, which was a, uh, contract at Bungie. And so what was it like working at Bungie compared to, compared to Pixar? They're both big companies, but obviously working on very different projects. I was extremely surprised at Bungie because I, in my mind as a gamer too, like in my mind, it was just as big as Pixar. Like, I don't mean like necessarily like culturally. I just mean like, like I just imagined it as a large institution, Mm-hmm. Just like that. Um, I think Halo had maybe one animator on it, like the, oh, well. the first Halo. The first and when, one, yeah. Yeah, when I came on, I worked on Halo Reach, and that had a, at the time when I joined, I think had six animators. And, you know, the intern animation group was double that size at Pixar. It was just, I couldn't believe, like, I just kept thinking, that, like, when I remember, like, the first week there, I'm like, man, a bus could take out this animation team. Like, it's just like, <laughs> this, is, this is what makes Halo, right? Just like all the animations of Halo right here. You know, like, uh, um, and so I definitely, I think, uh, found a love in games for just the much more intimate, it was much more intimate in terms of your, your contribution uh, to the project. It was um, definitely like, like there were parts where I was like, you know, you make an animation and they're like, all right, put it in the game. And I'm like, really? Nobody's going to like double check it or like, <laughs> yeah, like nobody's going to go fix it, make sure it's good, you know, or <laughs> something like I, I was like, I'm just directly putting things in the game. Like I, I just felt like there's got to be like eight more gates, right? Like, like it made me so nervous. Um, it felt weirdly you know and i know in the scope of the games industry that's not the case but it felt for me like i suddenly joined this tiny team that um where everybody was just like handling a huge portion of the project and how how did you react to going to sort of animating for film to games because i i I don't animate but i've worked with animators and i know it's a it's a pretty different experience in terms of you know the amount of bones you can use and things like that was what was that adjustment period like for you i think the adjustment was a lot more on the technical side. Uh, the amount of bones and stuff, I wasn't like, it didn't bother me too much. I, I guess I'm also like, I feel like I'm not that like artiste about animation, I guess. Um, and so I, I don't know how to like describe it. I don't want to just say like, I don't care that much. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, maybe that is the case. Like, I, I just felt like I, I was fine. I like animating a thing with one bone. That's great. You know, that's great. Uh, You'd be yeah. the ideal animator for me to work with. Cause yeah, these, I, <laughs> these yeah. folks I worked with were like, we work in film. We use like hundreds of bones and everything. I'm like, you can't do that. It's going to crush my engine. It's going to kill it. We're, yeah. We're totally no, animators, screwed. 
animators are are definitely pretty uh we can be very dramatic about our needs i it, it's funny to me i think i think animation is like the only discipline that has a dedicated support team of like like animation rigging and tech art is like it's like a department devoted to helping animators which is kind of like crazy um i think what was what was the adjustment but also like what i ended up falling in love with was uh animation implementation involves a lot of like blending different animations together and Bungie was actually like really doing that a lot at the time because their animations are very um well their game is very like sandbox like halo is a very systems driven sandbox game which actually like isn't immediately uh evident from someone who might not play it a ton it just looks kind of like a shooter but it differentiates itself in that it's very sandbox and so the animations need to be able to work across thousands of different situations and like you need to be able to throw a grenade while crouching on the back of someone's jet you know or something like that so like every animation needs to like work with all these in all these other cases and i really got into like oh so i can make like five different grenade throws that are all at different angles and they'll blend together so that it looks like the characters looking over their right shoulder and tossing a grenade over their right shoulder when they're looking that way on the back of a car you know like i actually started to get more into the implementation and systems development side of animation than than even the just asset creation itself like sometimes nowadays i'll 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 be like oh wow i built this amazing animation system but now i have to like make the animation <laughs> <laughs> There's this arc that I'm hearing in your story of like starting out uh, feeling like you're getting some support and then have to have to hold on to that, have to hold up to that. And then going into different worlds and realizing that there was, you know, fewer people on your animations team, fewer people working on this thing than you were expecting. And uh, and this is a really interesting arc to see. And I'm curious mm. on Clarissa's end. Um, was your arc similar after college? Like, did you feel like you started out? with a lot of support and then, and then you, you sort of had to find your way. Um, what was your story like? Um, I think it's a little different. Like when I, uh, kind of graduated, it was around the time of like the, like the housing market crashing. <laughs> and so, um, and so in terms of like job searching, it took me forever to find a job. Yeah. I think it took about a year, um, and, but even before that, I was taking any internship that I possibly could. Like, I think I took like three internships. Um, and, uh, and so in terms of like support, like, I feel like I had to, you know, just like really, you know, it was like a numbers game for me, you know, I just like send out, you know, over 50 or 60 resumes and just kind of seeing what bites and, you know, you just have to start somewhere. That's kind of how I started in the advertising career. Going from place to place to place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then uh, when you did transition into coding, like once you, you finally felt like you were getting a hang of that, how was that experience different? Um, I actually haven't really experienced like job searching yet because I've only been uh, I've only been working at Tandemi as um, as a programmer, and so I I don't know like one of like the biggest mysteries I actually don't know like how I measure up to other uh, engineers um, because I haven't actually worked with any yet. Um, I have you know I have my colleagues 
in school, uh, but you know, engineering is such a computer science is such a big umbrella that we all do different things. Um, and so I am yet to kind of like understand um, like like where I am amongst all the other engineers. What um, what do you think differentiates yourself from the rest of them? Like what uh, what in coding did you find the most interesting, and did you hold on to? When I compare myself to my colleagues, I feel like I'm the only one that is in game development. Like the way that I learned coding was through game development, and I learned it at such a rapid pace because um, because there's a visual component when I when I code, and so I feel like in uh, you know traditional you know programming 101 classes, it's like very text based. Like you don't release like it's hard to visual like it's hard to understand kind of like the power of like programming and coding when like all you do is say like hello you know output hello world or you know like some kind of text-based program um and so i th i think differently i think in terms of game development and um and game development also uh entails a lot of math and physics that i feel like uh, my colleagues don't really use in their in their work, and so um, I think I'm I'm great. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we do too. Yeah. Yeah. When when did you know like programming, like marketing, finance stuff is done? Programming is where I'm where I'm headed. It was because programming simply made me feel good. It was um, it 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 literally changed my life. Like it changed the way I think it, it gives me like a lot of, it gives me purpose. Um, programming gives me these really challenging problems and it gives me opportunities to conquer them. And so I like feeling like that. And so I'm going to continue heading that direction. No, that's great. If that, that empowers you, that's what you should definitely be be doing did what was the first step like into doing it though to understanding because i remember you said you looked at that screen at yahoo and you're like i don't even you know it was intimidating right so it must have been intimidating to to return to that and pursue that yeah so um i was laid off from yahoo at 2000 like around 2016 and so during that time i was taking like some temp jobs i even worked at like a food truck you know, because I just didn't want to be in an office environment for a while. Uh, while I was in parallel with that, I was um, I was playing like these kid coding games, like learning how to code like for kids. Um, and so it's just like these like logic puzzles that I, I learned a lot. Um, I, I really liked milked the crap out of this one game. Code combat. Um, it was called, yeah, it was called Code Combat. It was like for five-year-olds. Um, and I was like the only adult complaining to support, like, why isn't this program? Like, I want more levels uh, because uh, I want to learn. Um, and then I also took, you know, like those, um, like short programming programs, like three-month programs, like Udemy classes. But how I really learned was through uh, game development and Unity and their uh, mini game tutorials. That's how I really started to understand um, code and like why it works, how it works. Why did you choose game development in particular? 
I got into game development because I've always loved games. Um, that was that is something Tomash and I do have in common. Um, you know, just off of the uh, fact that you know Tomash was already in games, and that I also liked games, and so I just thought I'd try it. And when I when I opened that door, I, there was just there were so many resources and tutorials that, like, I just I just had to try it. So we had we had been dating for a few years when the when the uh, Yahoo layoff happened, and um, I remember just like personally just being an artist and seeing Clarissa kind of be interested in programming. I remember just trying to be extremely like, oh man, this would be so awesome if you, <laughs> if you <had> a program, <laughs> but I don't want to put any pressure on you in any way, you know, like, and um, yeah, so I was just kind of like. I was like, oh, cool, you're checking out Unity. That's nice. That's cool. Awesome. <laughs> uh, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> so so you have nothing to do with it, is what you're telling me? <laughs> I mean, I definitely didn't. I tried not to, because I knew I was excited about it. I didn't, you know, I wanted it to really be something she... That I really, really wanted. And it, it turned out, yes. Yes. And it also, like... I also discovered ever since I started my master's program that I do like computer science as a broader subject. And so like, I love, I'm into like machine learning. Um, yeah, actually basically just machine learning, <laughs> machine, <laughs> machine learning and, and like learning more about game development and it, and programming. So obviously with, with Begone Beast, you, you know, this is not a triple-A game. This is not a big game. There's nothing wrong with that. I love independent games. Um, but seems like to, to transition to that, right, there there must have been a, a period of, of uh, wanting to get out of the triple-A space. Uh, what, what brought that on? I experienced, after a decade of, of triple-A development, I was pretty burned out. Um, it's just like, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's a lot of people. I'm very like introvert and like I was growing into these management roles at Riot and it was just getting like, I was just really, really stressed. And around the same time, uh, you know, when I had, when Clarissa and I, you know, were, were dating and stuff and then she started looking into programming, um, I got to a point where I was like, I think I'm, I need a break from, from AAA development. And at the same time, Clarissa was like, I think I'm going to go for a master's degree, you know? Um, and so we basically were like, well, this is the two components we need to make a game. Like, why don't we just like try to make some prototypes and do stuff? And so to extend our uh, runway <laughs> of savings, uh, we moved in with Clarissa's parents and sister Yay. and became a little <laughs> sitcom family. <laughs> And started prototyping games um, with a new angle of the the married couple making a video game in the house. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, my old childhood bed, my bedroom became our office. Yep, that's cool. So, how did you guys? How did you guys meet? Yes, I've been waiting for this question <laughs> <laughs> because that's that's the fascinating thing, right? It's like, it's just almost too serendipitous. This whole story. Yeah, I mean it's. It's, it's all, it's, I feel like it's not even, it's going to be like sort of just a very simple answer, which is just Tinder. Woo! 
<laughs> yes. Oh my God. Modern day. That's so cool. I have, I have one of my best friends uh, is engaged and he met his, his fiance on Tinder as well. Yeah, I didn't know we were going to be a thing. We met at like 1130 at night for the first time. I was like, what is this? (laughs) Why do you swipe right? (laughs) Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know. But like you were so you were cute. You were handsome. And like, that's why (laughs) like that was really it for me. You have any uh, embarrassing photos or, or photos where you're trying to, to act cooler than you oh, are yes. or anything like that? <laughs> photos of you and a I, dog. I might have had one. Yeah. No, wait. This would have been before then. I don't I don't remember. You would probably no, remember better. You didn't, you didn't have douchey photos. No fish. Oh, okay. yeah. Giant fish. That's probably yeah. the reason. <laughs> yeah. She's like, right. I probably had like a dive, you know, me diving for a ball or something. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> no, you, um, I mean, uh, your photos all had like you just like laughing and so that was fun. And then just, uh, you know, I could look in your eyes and just know she's going to help me make video games. She's yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be five years or so from now. <laughs> what did we bond over? We bond over games and we bonded over like, uh, like animation and like my love for, you know, like animated uh, shows. Like Disney and, um, well, like what else, Tomash? Come well, on. She, like Clarissa was, uh, is and was very uh, a blunt speaker. Uh, <laughs> like I just remember like, you know, you when you're dating, you engage in a lot of small talk with folks and, and, and you know, it's like sometimes it's like, you know, I'm an introvert. So it's like, what do you talk about? And I, was, I remember just like bringing up that I was an animator and Clarissa asked me like a really striking question, which was, oh, I love animation. Wh- what character do you think you're most like and what character do you want to do you want to be like, you know? Because I've, you know, at that point I'd visited lots of schools. I had been asked things a lot by students and like been asked things a lot by people that are interested. And I literally like one of the first times where I was just like, wow, I don't know an answer to this. And I was like, can I answer this on the next date? <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, give you me some a lot time of thought to think. into it. Yeah, what was the answer? Oh, I remember. I, I came back with that I most like the... Uh, prince or the emperor from emperor's new groove yes because i'm extremely vain and self (laughs) and just like need everything to be just so but i wish i was like uh robin hood from from the disney's robin hood you know this like selfless awesome hero and then and clarissa i asked her the same thing you can oh yeah and i knew my answer like immediately by the way um but you so prepared. who I am, yes. <laughs> who I am is Bowser and who I aspire to be is Mulan. Why Bowser? <laughs> really? I'm more on the why Mulan. I think you're clearly <laughs> Bowser. <laughs> I just, you know, I, especially like when I played sports, I just like have a lot of rage. Like, you know, I'm very vocal. Like when I strike out, I scream. <laughs> like, you breathe in fire. Yeah. When I, when I lose, I scream, you know, like everything is. And so when I don't get what I want, I scream. So that's why I'm Bowser. I don't, I, you know, I, at least back then I 
do before I think. <laughs> and Clarissa has all spikes and claws. She's uh, <laughs> very, but you know, the, it's, I think like, you know, to, not to be too sappy, but the, obviously like I can't provide on this two person team, like a reference point for Clarissa in terms of uh, engineers, because I don't, you know, to me, I'm just like, is it working? Great. You know, cause I'm not an engineer myself, but uh, you know, I've interviewed a lot of folks and I've worked with a lot of people and I think like, uh, and this is no like uh, epiphany in terms of a lot of people will say this in, in the games industry, but uh, uh, Clarissa has one of the highest capacities for just like, like just a lot of grit. Like, and I think like, I don't know, I don't have as much grit as Clarissa does. And that's definitely a very Bowser aspect of her. And I guess Mulan too. She's, she's, that's one of her main qualities of just like, you just take a, you just like take a beating so much, like changing careers, going into an industry where, you know, not a lot of people are like you, uh, going into like taking on math, taking on making a game. And like, I get to sit kind of comfortably in this like industry that I've been a part of for a long time. And like, you know, Clarissa's like went to GDC, not just first time showing off a game that she made, but first time entering the games industry in any kind of professional capacity. And saying out loud that I'm a programmer. I don't think I've ever said that out loud, you know, until that time. But thanks for the kind words, husband. <laughs> that was nice. I'll get to have dinner today. Yeah. <laughs> Graham, should we get into the, I think it's the final, the final set of questions, isn't it? Yes, we want to get into Begone Beast. Let's do Stay. it, yeah. So uh, let's get into it. Um, so it's just you two making the game, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. What, uh, when did you decide to make something together? It was more like... Oh, it'd be fun to make some prototypes because I just wanted to make games, uh, um, like, and I was really into indie games and stuff like that. And so, um, but I, you know, I couldn't program. And yeah, and for me, I was like, let's do something so I could learn more about programming. I think that's how I initially saw it as a learning opportunity for me to be a better programmer. So, how long did it take to create the first prototype? So that has two answers, kind of. It took like, it took like four years and it also took six months so we made prototypes um basically since 2016 i mean 2019 is when we went full-time making prototypes 2016 we were we were just like making fun prototypes in unity learning to work together learning like you know and, learning and unity. also like yeah like i i hadn't really had a ton of experience with unity and so and also like every clarissa was like becoming a better programmer extremely fast because she was starting at zero. Mm. And so like the possible game we could make kept changing Yeah, in my mind. Like, well, first it should just be like kind Point of a where's click. Waldo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like click on a thing and it does a thing, you know? Um, and then like, yeah, I remember just thinking like, oh, Clarissa can make characters move around. This changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like I scope crept the crap out of everything. But in 2019, when I decided to take a break from full-time work and started making prototypes with Clarissa, we basically, that was like the first version of what would become Begone Beast. Like we were thinking, you know, in terms of, uh, so Clarissa and I, I mean, you can tell them about uh, the the family event that inspired uh, Begone Beast. Oh, yeah. So 
a huge inspiration for us is every year my family and um since well with tamash since 2013 we go to halloween horror nights which is like uh, an event at universal studios and it's like all these scary you know mazes where you have to like walk through them together um we do that every year oh. and that's a and we have so much fun uh like being scared together it's a great way to spend time with like my family and um and that that was that's a, such a huge inspiration for us like the feeling of like going through something scary together but you know knowing that you're going to be alive in the end <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it was a shared experience, right? So we, we had this, like, North Star that we both kind of knew and we had experienced together. And so it was, like, an easy kind of thing to be like, oh, let's make a game that makes you feel that way with your friends, right? Um, uh, I think the harder part of that is all the details <laughs> that come with it. And so I think we made probably five prototypes you know they bled together a lot more it's not as clean as as i'm describing it but we made roughly like four or five prototypes before uh like i was very like you know like insular with it at first i was i was having a hard time kind of like sharing it with people because i was just like scared and and you know eventually like clarissa kind of pushed me and i was i started sharing it more with friends and and i got feedback that was very pivotal in last uh, August or so, that was basically like, it was our most recent prototype and, you know, a very, very good designer friend, game designer friend of mine basically played it and was like, spoke highly of the, um, <laughs> he spoke highly of the, like the ambiance and the vibe, but basically said, there's not a game here. Ouch. <laughs> What a good friend to be, because that is not mm. the easiest thing to tell someone, yeah. you know? Um, and so, like, I've definitely, like, I think I've gotten to a point in my life now where I can appreciate that when someone says that, that it's like, they're doing the hard thing, you know? Like, and I, it can hurt without me taking that out on the person who's telling me that, right? Yeah, that's the best part about having those those feedback sessions is someone who can be brutally honest about that, right? Because yeah. now that's that's led to what the game is. Exactly. And the game, I remember you telling, I mean, I played it and I remember you, you talking about it as sort of like inspired, you know, the gameplay is kind of like left for dead in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but what was it like before that? So there were a couple of different prototypes, but the one before that was sort of like, imagine left for dead with no combat. <laughs> <laughs> So it was just like, run for your life. Right. <laughs> run, what and, are you uh, running from? <laughs> and, you know, I really struggled with that because I just wanted to make this like, because, you know, I was using that Halloween Horror Nights kind of vibe. It's not like you fight back during right. that, right? You just sort of run um, around. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, this designer was like, running away is, is a, you know, he defined it as like this passive mechanic and it's going to be very hard for you to build mechanics around something passive. Like it's right. not a proactive. There's thing. not enough conflict in there. Sounds like. Right. Yeah. And so like, and he says, it's not impossible. It's just going to be really hard. And you're not, you don't have a lot of uh, references that you can draw from. And so he suggested basically what we ended up doing, which was he named some games that was close to what we had. Um, and was like, I would pick a game and really just try to mirror it and really understand that game. Pick something you've played a lot. 
um, that fits what you're building and try to make a prototype of that. Um, and we had kind of narrowed it down to, we, you know, we had played a lot of Left 4 Dead 2 and Orcs Must Die 2. Um, and both kind of fit what we were doing, but ultimately, like, Left 4 Dead felt more... Uh, it just fed our goals a lot more. Um, and Orcs Must Die is amazing, but it just seemed like, again, there's, like, w- one example of that um, working well. And Left 4 Dead has a lot of... Uh, a decent amount of games that have mirrored it successfully. And so... Um, so yeah, so that's, that started our prototype in September. We like made our first like little combat space and we're like, Oh look, we're going to put combat in the game. And, and so we had to think like, what will these kids with flashlights do as combat? You know, at first they just like shot orbs out of their flashlights, but eventually I don't even remember which one of us came up with it, but like just the idea of like manifesting these flashlights into weapons became like immediately compelling at some point. Right. Yeah, you you were so worried about like like, but why does that happen? You know, and 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 I was just like, if it's fun, yeah. no no one's gonna care. If it's yeah, fun, guess what? No one asked at GDC. No <laughs> That's a good sign. You guys had a bunch of people. Yeah, playing. nobody asked that. Yeah, um, no one asked why do they have weapons made out of flashlights? How is this possible? <laughs> well, it's almost like you're conditioned, right? When you when you're sort of dropped in those kind of games, and you're like. And you're being chased by something. It's like, I have to be able to fight back. Right. You know, in some way. So it's very instinctual, I think. And I think you find that players tend to be forgiving of nonsensical things if those if that nonsense works in their favor. Yeah. And if you can buy into the world of it, which I think you guys have done a good job of, yeah, of yeah. crafting that as well. Like, you're, you're sold by what's happening on screen. You, you want to participate in that. Um. So I'm, I'm really curious about, you know, the structure of how you guys make decisions and how you guys work together. Like, it sounds like it's very collaborative in terms of like design decisions and, and whatnot. But take me through like how you guys break down what needs to be worked on. Uh, is there like sort of a what is one of you guys sort of the producer or is it sort of like more kind of like, uh, you, you know, you, you take on what you can take on and we'll see where we wind up. What's what's the structure like with y'all's um development. I mean, so I guess I'm the producer in that capacity, although Clarissa took some agile classes this year. So now I'm like, oh, so you can do it, right? <laughs> um, Daily stand-up uh, time. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, basically, I uh, I kind of outline like the feeling uh, that we want to have with Clarissa. And then I try to like put together, oh, here are some ways I think we can pull that off. Um, and then, you know, she has a chance to kind of agree or disagree with that and, and figure out what works. But ultimately, like, I think kind of a great thing about working together was our goals are a little different. Like my goal is like, I want to be able to make this game. And Clarissa's goal is I want to be able to develop as a engineer. Um, and so I think the, the, the points where we hit like frustration is largely around my inexperience as a game designer. And so there's like just a lot of stuff that, uh, Clarissa has had to put in and take out and put in and take out and put in and take out. And I like each time I'm like, please, I swear this, <laughs> like, 
she's put in like a dodge system several times. It's currently not in, uh, but you know, yeah. that is something people. But I'm saving up. it. I'm saving it in case you want it. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, you know, especially when we were prototyping different stuff, like uh, you know, I've I've tried a lot of different things, but I think uh, it's just uh, my way of uh, helping Clarissa develop as an engineer. Is uh, <laughs> I, I, I put on this affect of uh, not knowing what we should do, and it allows her to try a lot of different things now. <laughs> um, no, we definitely would move a lot faster, I think, if, like, I'm still f- sort of figuring out how to best try stuff. Well, that's just game development. Yeah. Just, you know, you have to throw in, like, a million things and just see what sticks. And you can see that Clarissa is very forgiving, and so I think that's the key part of it as well, like... Just in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's not, you know, I, I definitely try to be very mindful of, like there's a reason for putting stuff in. Like I'm very, I I don't want to just put stuff in because it's cool, you know, like, and so we try to be very goal oriented. Like why is, what is the purpose of adding this mechanic? And so honestly, like that advice we got of mirroring another game has made that a lot simpler um, Mm -hmm. because it's like whenever we hit a crossroads of like, I don't know what this should be. And Clarissa doesn't have a strong opinion on it either. Then we look to Left 4 Dead. I want to get into some super nerd stuff here. So I remember you telling me at GDC that like you have procedurally generated levels and I believe in, uh, enemies as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that like working with procedurally generated stuff? Take me behind the curtain there. I've, um, you know, my short time when I was actually working on, on games, that was not even a twinkle in the eye of anybody. Why that decision and what's it like trying to to build a game using that that method methodology. Well, we actually made that decision pretty early, uh, knowing that it is just going to be the two of us, and we didn't really want to worry about like making levels, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so we did a lot of work up front to make the game procedurally generated, uh, uh, so that we could just kind of focus on the art side of things um, instead of like the structure of a level. Uh, do you want to add to that, Tamash? We, so we were briefly working on a prototype before that that was more of just like a traditional like point and click adventure. And <laughs> like, especially as Clarissa rapidly became a better programmer, she outpaced me so fast. It was like, it was like like basically like there was 10 hours of work for me to do for every like 15 minutes like she could make things work so much faster than me and so with like we needed to do something that spread the work more evenly um and just also like if we were the primary people testing our prototypes at the beginning uh that was impossible if we knew what was going to happen And so I think there was just a lot of things that pointed us down the procedural route, which was content creation woes, which is like, oh, we can like add to this soup rather than painstakingly knitting every inch of this level, you know. Um, And then also testing it, we actually like, you know, I don't remember the exact moment, but I remember the first moments of working on a prototype where, where like we got scared, you know, like during our own play test of the thing we made. And that was like, okay, this is working. You know, the, the procedural stuff is doing what it's meant to because we can experience this almost as a fresh player. Not exact, not, you know, not 100% that way, but at least enough that we know um, we can assess things a little bit. And it's just fun. It's like a lot yeah. more fun uh, for, for us to experience something 
Um, you know, if we made a short linear game, that could be really fun to curate that, but it wouldn't be, I think, as fun for us to test it and play it and work on it. Like, mm-hmm. well, I think the thing that was really cool about it is it didn't feel procedurally generated. It felt mm-hmm. like there was a rhythm when I was playing it, like especially at the end when you're running away. I forget what happened at the end of the, the demo, but I remember we had to run down this sort of long railing or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it felt like everything led to that moment really well. So when you when you were talking about it was procedurally generated, I was like, that's awesome. Because that felt like chaos in a good way with the with the conflict and everybody trying to work together and then this sort of big climax at the end. So hats off to you guys. I think that's pretty fantastic that you should be able to make that make that work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Clarissa's been refining the sort of like pacing of the game for a while. Like um she actually and because this has been something she's been like building a skill in, she's that that was why we could make this prototype in six months was that she was able to maybe basically build a level creation algorithm like really quickly. Um, because we had been kind of practicing doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. And I can't wait to see what happens when you guys actually wrap it up, right? And everything's even more refined. Yeah. I can't wait either. We we definitely have like the infrastructure like ready to go and I can't wait to like, you know, really test it, uh, test the AI director and make it more robust than it is now um, to make a more curated experience for our players. You know, we, we take a lot from the games that are making Left 4 Dead likes now and, uh, you know, Clarissa built this, uh, I think she's, you know, being a little bit humble, but the, the, there's like a golden path system that we, we actually read about in, uh, from the Anacrusis, uh, which is a game that's similar to Left 4 Dead uh, that I think is in like a preview early access type thing now. Um, they'd made this awesome blog post about golden, the golden path in Left 4 Dead and how they entice people off of it and how they track progress on it. And so Clarissa built, based just looking at that blog post, she'd like built a um, system that basically can track the player's progress along the golden path. Monsters know whether the players are going on it or not. Yeah, I, pause. I forgot I did that. I forgot I did that. <laughs> and is it like the players' interactions will change or the, with the enemies based off where they are on the, the golden path sort of deal? Yeah, well, it's built to it's built for monsters to react to something like that. Yeah, and monsters can be like deployed either like they know that they're attacking from like ahead of you or behind you or off the path or on the path and basically like and and sorry, the golden path is basically the shortest route to the end is is right. the is the this path going through this like larger level that has a lot of these like offshoots that are less effective to go down but might have, you know, gear or health or things like that. And so we have these like rudimentary systems in place that are tracking a lot of data about these uh the player's progress and whether they're struggling or not and whether they need to be attacked more or or Mm -hmm. redirected and and stuff like that so what about like tendencies with like they're using a specific weapon or something too much where they would the enemies react to that we we're tracking that data but a lot of the sort of monster ai is super rudimentary right now but we hope to do a lot of things like that and so a lot of it's going to have to be done through just a lot of play testing and kind of figuring out which data results in the best experiences for people to have like that pacing feel like, oh, there's an awesome build and there's like moments to breathe and there's a climax and, and kind of looking at what Left 4 Dead likes do, but also like what makes sense and what works in our game. And yeah, it's like 
we're really excited to kind of like get into the more deeper aspects of what to do with this this like data that that Clarissa has built a system around. Yeah, that's awesome. That's exciting in terms of the the possibilities of what can be because you got a rock solid foundation. So well, yeah, you. that's gonna be great. Um, is uh, what's the release window like? So we're actually working with a consultant now to kind of get like a production schedule and milestone. I highly recommend that to any indie that can is find mentors and consultants to kind of like boost you when you're at this stage because it's been so incredibly helpful to talk to folks that have done this before um, to kind of get a sense of like what are best practices and, and things like that. And so um, we're hoping to release roughly uh, like a year from now, um, a sort of initial version that will be like kind of the base uh, from which we want to build a lot of updates and things. Um, but, you know, that's still being highly fluid and figured out. So we, we can't promise anything. <laughs> right. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be online too, as well as, as couch co-op. That's the intention. Yes. Oh, man, that's great. Deep in learning, uh, the network side of things now, Yes. That's a whole other yes. beast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, Graham, do you think we should uh, wrap it up here? Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess the last, uh, last sort of question is what, what do you guys think the future is? Is, it, is this uh, a one-off game for you guys as, as Tandemi? Or are you guys going to try to make more projects after Begone Beast? Or, or what do you think? We want to be in it forever. Cool. Forever. forever. Never be gone for us. <laughs> be here <laughs> no we want you know we want to do uh i i i just love this format and you know barring any uh you know change of heart or something i would love to just keep developing and mastering this genre for as long as i can stomach it i think it would be i definitely don't <laughs> i think that's like the aspirational fun side of it i definitely Basically, do not would not look forward to starting from a blank page again. Like, right. <laughs> it feels so good to have some sort of foothold in something that seems to be working. I just want to hang on to that for as long as I can uh, in terms of just, I think there's a lot in this space to, uh, to, to evolve and define and, and figure out. So I think there's just so much meat here. And also on top of that, we do overall enjoy working with each other I, and um, there's miscommunications that happen all the time but um, I, I do overall enjoy working with Tomash and so I hope to do that as long as we can I also overall enjoy <laughs> working yeah. with Clarissa <laughs> overall overall <laughs> the good outweighs the bad <laughs> sorry Layla what were you saying Oh, no, I was just going to say, if someone wanted to download your game or follow you uh, on social media, where should they go? Right now, BeGoneBeast.com has everything you need. If you'd like to join our mailing list, that's where we're going to start um, getting our playtests out to when we, do, when we start doing that. So demos and early playtests, if you want to help us develop Begone Beast, that's the first place to go. That wraps us up. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. This was yeah. so much fun learning about y'all's history and how that informed the game and the the, the game's development. This was uh, this was wonderful, and thank you both so much for your time. You appreciate it beyond belief. Thank you so much, Graham. Thanks so much, Layla. Yes, this was a pleasure. Thank you.
All right, folks, that wraps up our show and uh, our interview with Tomash and Clarissa. Uh, but before you go, here's some information about where you can find all the info you need on Begon Beast. As Tomash mentioned, just go to begonbeast.com to see uh, the trailer, look at screenshots, and sign up to be a playtester if you want to help in the development of Begon Beast. You can also find out more information about Mudstack and the work that we're doing by checking us out at uh, mudstack.com and joining our Discord and following us on Twitter. All right, that's it. We'll see you all next time on Clear as Mud. Thank you.